Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. of um, spaghetti sauce. So Jenka, mm. when Katie walked by briefly when I was watching this episode this morning and she goes, that freaked me out. I go, what? She goes, that little girl. Ah. I go, why? She goes, I thought it was Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> Not wrong. It is. <laughs> why do you think you look like her? Uh, this was the prototype for Chucky. I'm just comparing the images. Kind of. Uh, I can see a green screen background. Yeah. Uh, do you know who that actor is? No. The child? The child. I don't think you would. She's Haley not Joel Osment? Super Weird. It is Haley Joel Osment. That's right. She, uh, he saw dead people well before this. Uh, uh-huh. No, uh, she's a she's an actress. Uh, she's an actor named Nicole Cox or Nikki Cox. Um, I remember from this. She was from a show called Unhappily Ever After, which was like a ripoff of Married with Children. She played what was essentially the Christina Applegate character. Oh. Um, but she's also. The- she was on like grandma? Vegas and some other stuff too. Huh. No, she's not the grandma. <laughs> I've never seen all these things. Well, they're kind of more '90s. Like she was a late yeah. '90s person. She was in that uh, NBC show Vegas as well. But I didn't um, recognize her as a child, obviously, and definitely not in this insano makeup. That yeah. makeup is orange, and yep. uh, apparently got on um, Brent Spiner's makeup as too. So they had to oh, limit sure. how much they could touch each other yeah. because they kept rubbing off on his yellow slash white makeup. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Makes Ooh. sense. His jaundice makeup. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely you know, not a human. <laughs> when I need a break, I like to step out into the holodeck, into the fresh air, and ride on not a small animal, but a large animal. Or oh, a beast, even. Mm. A beast. Mm. A mount. A mount. Well, she, Troy makes a good observation of that. I didn't take you for an animal person. And he, he says, well, not small animals. But once mm-hmm. you can ride, absolutely. But you get a teacup chihuahua around me, and who I'm furious. <laughs> if I can't ride that teacup chihuahua, then I'm furious. That's right. We're talking about Picard riding horses yeah. in a very sexy flat cap. Yeah. Like the Newsies cap. Oh, gosh. I'm into this outfit. I would buy outfit. a newspaper off him in this outfit, mm-hmm. for sure. He could That's how I judge who I buy me. newspapers from. Yeah. They also use some interesting steady cam. In the right. horse riding shots, really beautiful camera work. Listen, I feel like after living here now, there's like the Pickwick lanes and like horse riding in Burbank. And I swear that they must have filmed something like this. Like they got a date crew out and they're like, OK, we'll take Patrick Stewart uh, and I guess Data <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Marina Sirtis. You three come out here. <laughs> I actually thought at first that that was Griffith Park where they were filming. Turns oh, it could out have been. it's a ranch out in Thousand Oaks. So we're not Same thing. far out. Do you think that they shot these scenes before they'd written the rest of the script? No. They, they just decided what? that they had the... They had a horse ranch. You think they got horse footage first, then uh, just shoved Dumped it into an episode about a girl whose planet I was could, doomed? I could believe that they got the uh, schedule booked first and then wrote the episode around, okay, we've got a horse. What can we do with that? You guys. Yes. 
There's like um, and hundreds to be fair, of thousands of dollars that go through this. I listen, Jake. <laughs> yeah, but also a lot of slapdashery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, your your description of a girl whose planet is about to explode is half of the episodes. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's fair. I give you that point. Um, that's right. It's pen pals. <laughs> Because when Becca said, that's right, it's Picard wearing horse pants or whatever. <laughs> right. John Purse. A flat cap. <laughs> uh, Data makes contact with a girl from a pre-warp civilization on a planet facing imminent annihilation. Oh, Becca. no. Is the Enterprise crew going to do something about that? Well, it's another quandary where they have to decide a planet's fate. A planet with a civilization that is pre-warp and pre-contact with other alien life. Yeah. Hold on, but that's violating the prime directive. Yeah. Oh no, data made a oopsie. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you, can't... you said oops. I loved it. I, oh I'm so glad gosh. they did. Oops. <laughs> so data, let's see where to start on this. Uh, we go into a very deep uh, part of space where um, planets live fast and die hard, according <laughs> to Riker. And yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that one of these planets uh, is uh, in imminent collapse. And Data, as a pet project, is going over all the frequency and energy beams that are coming or bouncing around in the system. And Leaving he, all his toys on the floor. I know. That's the most <laughs> disorganized I would like, – that doesn't make sense for it an android. Wouldn't sense. he have it, like, in a nice little row? Or, a ki- like, a table. A table. <laughs> he saw yeah. humans being slobs, and he thought – to be more oh. human. He spent too much time in engineering. He had like a random distribution algorithm for how to spread his tools out on the floor. I like that, Becca. Yeah. I shall emulate slovenness. <laughs> Buffer time. And he picks up a message and he picks it up right at the beginning, which is, hello, is anybody out there? Right. <laughs> and I of think course I you picked have to up answer. a Pink Floyd album, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming from the dark side of the moon? we want to but you know it's just another piece in this wall that we're up against oh my goodness well i wish you were here to see this because we had a great time watching it uh wesley or so we go to the credits then we come back out that was the cold open yeah that was the cold (laughs) open wesley is given an assignment where he's actually gonna be in charge of a very important surveying mission and he's gonna be given a staff which is pretty cool yeah um wait a minute Mm-hmm. Did we? Does the anybody out there thing at the end of the, the end of the first act or the end of the teaser? I guess it's the end of the first act. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Well, regardless, mm-hmm. Data confronts uh, Picard in the holodeck, holodeck and says, "For eight weeks, I've been talking to a person." Right. So two months passed. Is yes. that Right. So there, there's um, the assignment that happens to Wesley, and then they're moving in uh, to the area, and it takes a long time to move through and survey because they're conducting these geological surveys. So they're taking their time combing through the area, and some time has to have passed because otherwise there's no results and no tests have taken place. And thus, so, presumably, like on Wesley's side, there's a two-month – that's a two-month project, too. Exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. I'm kind of I I didn't miss it, but I was confused by it. But I get it. Yeah, there was a time yet, jump. No one's hair changed at all. <laughs> it's incredible. Space rules, <laughs> and Listen, you have to have pointy space. sideburns. <laughs> yep. Wow, that very distinguishing feature that everyone notices upon watching the show. <laughs> you know, I cut David's hair like that because he's had me do it ever since uh, leaving was not an option, and. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
you know, I just cut them into a point. Why not? Thought, what do sideburns look like? I know. Yeah. <laughs> this is the future. <laughs> he wasn't pleased. <laughs> <laughs> so Wesley uh, has to assign people, and he goes to interviews, or not even interviews. He just goes up to these various other ensigns, or I guess they are ensigns. He's not even one yet. And says, you're going to be on my team. And they're like, cool. It's and, various uh, ranks, too. It's not just ensigns. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought they were all. Oh, maybe, I, I think there was like a lieutenant in there or something like that. Or probably a junior junior lieutenant. And who's the first one he meets? Davies? Is that what his yeah. name is? And Ugh, he's all like. dickhead. Yeah, you can already tell he's going to be an issue, right? How yeah. did you know, Davies Becca? is the worst. I, <laughs> science officer? Ugh. Was it his face, Becca? You just Becca? hate all <laughs> science officers except for. It wasn't his face. It was his cocky way of saying yes. And then immediately he says, oh, you asked those people to be on the team? <laughs> mm. You should have talked mistake. to me first. Right? Yeah. 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 And because also, like married couples or something like that. Yeah, you don't want to be on a team with a married couple. And I could see because there's a, a way that like a married couple would communicate that might leave team members out or make them feeling awkward if it becomes heated, uh, which is strongly just a normal disagree. form of communication for the two of them. You strongly, you strongly disagree. It's possible for a married couple to have that issue. Impossible. <laughs> I would say married couples have developed a shorthand, yes, but they're also very in tune with communicating with one another, not being afraid to say what they're really thinking, therefore going to help the whole team to communicate better. Sure, but there's an argument to be made of if you're spending your work time and your private time with someone, that might be too much. And so it's suggested that maybe married couples don't work on projects together. Well, that's up to the couple, I would say. You know? And the person deciding the team. In this mm -hmm. case, Wesley sided with you, Becca. Yeah, and I think that's where. Turns out, I'd... Wesley's a great decision maker. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. it was as someone foretold. who's been married on a team and been with other people who are married on a team, I think it just depends on the couple. But I sure. think you can fall into both both the pitfalls and the glories of what we're both talking about here. Yeah, but I, thankfully, the pitfalls and the glory holes. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Marriage is different than I thought. <laughs> um, I think one of the things, too, is the backhanded way that he says, like, if it gets too tough, just let me know and I'll take over. And it's like, there's a better way you could have phrased that. And then he immediately okay. contradicts himself was like, I'll take over because we have to prepare you for command. It's like, well, that doesn't prepare him for command. Yeah. If you're taking over. Thank you. Right. Never mind. I'm going with a different direction for this team. Goodbye, yeah, 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 Davies. Yeah. That's what he should have said. Right. But what I do like is that later on the episode when he decided, you know what, I am going to do that survey that they said was going to take a lot of time. That guy was like, absolutely. And then I just love went that. and did it. I was like, yep. oh, wow, that's great. We didn't make him a shallow character who is just going to be hard-headed about it. He is a Starfleet officer who knows what he's supposed to do. And he did and a lot of the drama was Wesley internally taking, you know, he was just offering advice and they were it was both just saying, confidence, right? yeah, this is how long this, the survey could take. It could be a waste of time, but if you want us to do it, we'll do it. And he took it as, oh, you're wasting our time and we're superior officers. So it was his change on, on how things are said. I think that's the difference. Yeah. Well, an order is an order. Right. Get those surveys <laughs> done. Insightful, uh, uh, stuff from inside, but inside, inside, inside. That's who I am. Yeah. Inside. Oh, I do want to mention too. Uh, just going back to when Data was uh, futzing with the signal that he found, he does a classic like TV trope, especially in the '90s, of enhance. 
And uh, <laughs> if you look, you can find there's like a clip of or like a montage of every time of that people have said enhance uh, <laughs> while looking at a screen. <laughs> I wonder if there was a particular show or actor that wins the award for most enhancements. Mm. It's got to be CSI, right? I think it's CSI. Probably. Mm-hmm. They enhance from blurry photo all the way to like high quality, like yeah. Google Earth image level. Yeah, <laughs> reflection in a pair of glasses on the table or something. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> that's why I'm the expert. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's kind of the majority of Wesley's story. That's another story, like kind of last episode, where it kind of just doesn't resolve, right? Like they figure out, well, I guess it resolves in the end in that <clears throat> they were quote unquote right about being able to fix the problem which was that the planet that this girl is on is uh the core is made of dilithium and mm-hmm. the way it grows is in a lattice pattern <laughs> right the details is, got very for like uh gobbledygook. yeah yeah well um what this is interesting too and for anybody who is concerned about spoilers for the future future in star trek uh we get into star trek discovery which is a new season is now uh coming out and we find out do you guys care can i talk about it spoiler uh, alert everyone so, spoiler plug your ears alert. skip okay, forward yeah, 10 I'll seconds okay go ahead i usually don't but i want it now there's a big thing that happens in the future and it incapacitates starfleet in that there's something in this season that they're investigating called the burn where all dilithium suddenly explodes so it's interesting that they're setting the pattern for this in this episode because it comes back later on uh, because all of the starship that were using dilithium to power their cores exploded. But so, didn't they know you just got to vibrate at a certain frequency? Right, right. Ugh. But it happened and nobody can find out. Nobody's found out what the source of it was and, and stuff like that. So Discovery that takes place before this or after so this? So the first two seasons of Discovery take place before this. This season takes place way after this. Oh. Wait, Discovery is an anthology? Discovery does some time shenanigans. Uh. <laughs> Looks like you discovered something new, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> I if for anybody who gave up on Discovery like season 1 or 2, give this most recent season a chance and even the one before it too. They really find their footing uh, and it feels like Star Trek again. Well, yeah, I'm going to warp I, jump to the new season then. Thank you yeah. for the pro tip. No we'll problem. definitely we'll definitely get there in future podcasts eventually. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we'll do time shenanigans. We'll see. Ten years later. <laughs> Can I say something you've left out of the Wesley story is a great scene in Ten Forward with Wesley and Riker where he gives mm. excellent advice that it's this task given to Wesley is not about him actually completing the task. It's about him building his confidence in the command chair and mm-hmm. command track. And he says some things like, trust your own judgment if you want to be in the command chair. Uh, it's arrogant to think that you won't make mistakes. You just got to make a decision and go with it. And most importantly, WWPD. Yeah, I wrote do? WWPD too. <laughs> What would Pulaski then, do? <laughs> just leave. <She's> just <laughs> leave. Show yourself off the ship. <laughs> Picard. No airlock. This is. <laughs> okay, come back in. Oh, it's good. It's too um, late. <laughs> and, and also, Riker the fuckboy strikes again because <laughs> as he's leaving 10 forward, he mm-hmm. says to a woman sitting at a nearby table, I'll see you later. And she, like, giggles and looks around. 
You could tell he was on a date with her because she they were like having a great conversation and then you see her like deflate like oh very good. I always I always love when TV shows do that where you just see the last snippet of a conversation or of a joke and then they start laughing and the line that he gave was you should have seen the look on his face. Mm -hmm. So like anything could have happened before that. We don't even get the end of the story. Like I always love when they just give the punchline of like and then the fish died and then the person just erupts and laughed. Well, he was talking about his ambujitsu match with his dad, <laughs> so you should have seen the look on his face. I mean, it wrote most Wednesday of my on my armor. Experience, yeah. <laughs> most of my acting experience is being the woman at the table that sure. gets interrupted, and so I pride myself on saying a different punchline every time. And here's your soup, miss. <laughs> uh, here's your potato salad, miss. <laughs> Here's your chicken cordon bleu. Mm. Still soup. <laughs> well, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is the prime directive the horse conversation. that Picard's right. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> it comes back down to this whole weird directive that we have that I think, uh, I mean, I personally have had issues with it in previous episodes, and I definitely have issues with it now because it's just so mm. unclear, and not everybody seems to be on board with it. For something that is literally, like, the prime directive means it's the one thing we all have to obey in Starfleet. Everybody yes. is really wishy-washy on it and very much disagrees with different perspectives. Well, and I will point out, Exhibit A, look who is in Data's corner caring about his feelings. Dr. Catherine Pulaski, thank you very much. That's what we call character growth. Mm. Huh? Yeah. yeah. She also, but, but she's been on the side of compassion before. Her and yes. Crusher were always very much uh, skeptical of the repercussions of going with the Prime Directive. Crusher made specific points about those um, that drug-addicted culture from yep. season one that was being mm -hmm. exploited. And I feel like Pulaski's definitely – oh, P Pulaski, it wasn't the really a prime directive thing, but the aging thing. Yeah, the thing. quarantine. Yeah. Well, and then this, I think, brings up an interesting point in how starships are run, especially or at least how Picard is running it, in that, yes, there is this absolute. There is the prime directive. But Picard's style of captaining is taking everybody's opinion into consideration. So that's why we get these great scenes where people are speaking frankly and they say, you know, we know what we're supposed to say here, but he's asking for your actual feelings and your opinions and they give them. And I think that's really a cool way to sort of um, see all aspects of an argument because both sides have valid arguments. And that's the real WWPD of it all. Right. <laughs> We run into the issue that we've run into before of like we still have to have a TV show and to have a TV show we need to have conflict and the conflict mm -hmm. is going to come from the characters disagreeing on the principles, right? So that's yeah. how it goes. We can't realistically have them all agree on the prime directive otherwise what are we it's just going to be a yes and just a yes conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's valuable to have this, but Again, for something that's so important, it's kind of crazy that everybody has such diverging views. But we decide that if it's a civilization is pre-warp, as in if they haven't discovered interstellar travel, mm -hmm. we can't really communicate or interfere with them. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is a good example of an episode where I think we have a, a real obvious choice of like, well, just because why is that our barometer? Why is interstellar travel our barometer? Like, shouldn't like shared language or some sense of uh, industry or something be a success because like we are pre-warp right now mm -hmm. we humans and if mm -hmm. there was a um an alien civilization up there that also had a prime directive similar and mm -hmm. we were about to i don't know uh kill ourselves with climate change or anything mm -hmm. fun like that that's happening uh they are not obliged to save us by the same 
thought process, right? I don't right. agree with that. Why well, can't if... we just gauge a civilization on whether they can serve tea? Earl Grey, hot. <laughs> the thing is, Jake, you're you're right. And um, the thing that did happen was that the Vulcans contacted humans, and we were the mistake. So the prime, <laughs> the prime directive is in place because we they we they, it was a fear that we were introduced to space-faring races and travel too soon, and the nature of humanity was too rash and that yada yada yada. But didn't the Vulcans only contact us when we actually did first hit warp six or whatever it was warp one? I don't even know. We because it was it, a Cochrane's thing. Right? Zephyr and Cochrane. It depends on you know. There's Enterprise with T'Pol and like before like it gets. Oh, the, oh! There's different chronologies here. There's different iterations of oh. what happened. Oh, I didn't know that. There's no way. I just thought, Jake. I right. just thought since I've seen Star Trek: First Contact, I got it figured out. Sure. So. I mean, that is one version of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Becca, for you, and this isn't really spoiled too much, but in one of the movies, the one of the ones directed by Jonathan Frakes, actually, which takes place after the TV show, uh, they go back in time to when humans and Vulcans first met. And that culminates when uh, humans first achieve, I think, a certain warp number, which they was like an experiment in the movie. Right. And, and I won't then spoil there was the, the series Enterprise takes place in that time period of like the first time that humans are going out into space. So they, they get into that as well. Well, it's a little... You know, uh, like we were the last ones and nobody else can do it. Of <laughs> humans right. to create this whole federation because it's primarily yeah. human driven, the mm -hmm. federation itself. And then they're like, uh, prime directive now starts now. Right. These are great points. And you're right. <laughs> and I mean, they had to choose an arbitrary point. So they chose that. Yeah. So I guess we, that's the way it goes. But it's like, man, now we do have all these dilemmas because almost every single time the prime directive is brought up in an episode, it's because we, we it. all want to disobey it. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Oops. Oops. <laughs> well, I, one thing I do like about how they handled this was that nobody was sitting there blaming data. How could you? You knew this was wrong. Why did you do that? You know what I mean? Like they address it and they're like, oh, well, we're in a pickle now type of thing, but nobody is outright, you know, hostile or well, demeaning towards data. I mean, that's just Worf's state. Right, at yeah. At all times. Yeah, more so than usual. <laughs> more supposed to be that presence. He's the stern, rigid one, right? But yeah. like oh, I was going to say, Picard has every right to, like, demote him or, like, give him a stern talking <laughs> oh, to. I can't Riker believe too. he didn't get in trouble for that. Right. Like, especially also, I can't believe data didn't just tell them like we kind of need to justify why data would keep this silent for eight weeks that seems <laughs> yeah plot plot <laughs> well that's what it is it's plot yeah. right and so like you said and he did say that it was a private project and he uh, apparently <laughs> something in his program didn't compute. but when it yields life yep. signs like yeah. that's kind of worth i think there's a procedure of like you gotta you gotta give everybody heads up well everybody knew they were there they just weren't telling them they were there the dra mm. the drama means <laughs> whatever these people what? are called yeah. Draymonds. It helps you to sleep. Draymonds. Yeah. What do you mean everybody knew they were there? On the well, planet. I'm sure that the Federation get, does scans. No, but that's well, the that's whole what point. They were doing. So they, there was a probe that went there well before them, and they were like, they, we found uh, it was a fertile planet, but they didn't see life signs. Now they see the planets being destroyed, and they have still no life signs. But he picks up this signal from a distant planet in the system. From a ham radio that right. a little bright orange See, child has built. 
And this, I think, Jake, to your point, could be, I think, the turning point for at least this person. If you're able to create a device, you know, that can contact a starship, you know. Interstellar communication, Communication. Right? Yeah, that, that's a good That point. should be the barrier. And they do make the distinction of, like, it goes from just communicating to a cry for help, which they then acknowledge. One of the mind-boggling things to me about space is how uh -huh. far the distance is needed to travel for just the signals alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, what we take for granted in Star Trek is, like, these quote-unquote subspace signals, which is nonsense, right. can go yes. so far so fast that they can have almost, almost instant communication. But that's not true. We've been broadcasting radio signals out uh, since, like, the 60s, mm -hmm. and they're, like— only so far out of our solar system, right? They're, yeah, they're not yeah. even close to hitting other parts of our uh, galaxy, let alone the universe. Totally. So, like, by the time Sigh. people even hear our signals, they're hearing it from, like, the 1950s or whatever. Yep. Um, that's that's an interesting concept of, like, what if he heard her when she was young and communicated with her, but mm. by the time he got there, she's an adult now. Now well, that's better writing. Yeah, <laughs> but the planet then explodes. Yeah. <laughs> we only have 47 days. To, oh, I'm listening oh. to you after. <laughs> yeah, that's that is a storyline that could come up as well. You know, these echoes that bounce around in space. And when you come across them, they're mysteries. Ugh, the whispers of the ghosts, right? Well, the whispers yeah, yeah. in the darkness, which become pleads. Just want to say that our technology is growing exponentially, and with each passing year, we get closer to technology that will send signals faster. And yes. maybe somebody's going to let us in their federation. But mm. here's the crazy thing, is theoretically, we can't get much faster than the speed of light. And right. light still only travels at a finite amount. Mm -hmm. And like some of this light that we're seeing from distant stars at night is years and years old, or even in some cases, hundreds of years old. So like even if even if we can send a light as something at the speed of light, it's still going to take millennia to reach distant reaches of the galaxy. Well, your assumption is that light is the fastest thing when really there's so many dimensions we haven't discovered yet. I mean, just for string theory to make sense, there must be ten dimensions. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, and then yeah, yeah, for sure. Black what holes, is the relationship? Jake, black holes <laughs> yeah, between yeah. distance, time, and then the dimension itself. Do you bend the dimensions and which one do you exist in? You know, there's a lot of It's like an accordion here. of dimensions. Right. So do you want to stay on the end of an accordion? Do you want to be in the fold in the middle? Where do you want to live? Or do you constantly travel through them? Mm, all a traveler. Right. Because you're constantly making decisions which separates your, your you know, string theory function. I love how technical we got with this, despite none of us having degrees in this. This was great. No, wow. Schrodinger's starship. Schrodinger's accordion. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I also wanted to note is if you are going to direct um, a TV show, uh, if your characters don't need to eat or drink in a scene, don't mm -hmm. make them. Yeah, <laughs> it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's never pleasant, and it's always so much work for an actor. I yeah. now notice it so much now, and I encourage you guys to keep an eye out for it. When you see a the scene and someone bites. is being forced to eat a sandwich, and they don't need to be eating a sandwich in that scene, it is the most cumbersome thing. Have like, you had a spit bucket before, like on set? No, I haven't. Oh, had I've to. done hamburger. Oh, I've spit bucketed. Oh. Was that from a um, National Lampoon's film or something? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you saw Snack that crate. one. <laughs> 
the the thing is is like I, I don't know if you guys noticed but it's uh, it's always just a little bit more work and it takes it takes away from the power of an actor when they have to eat so Riker was listening and giving advice to Wesley in 10 forward and he kind of just takes a quick drink of his glass and it's probably not a really big thing but mm. it interrupts his momentum enough that it takes away his status where he's like casually drinking a beer while he's talking to Wesley, which I usually, if someone's drinking a beer, give them more authority. But <laughs> in this case, it just felt like it interrupted the flow. Mm. Well, it was also differentiating that it's not a commander talking to an acting ensign, but rather two friends. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I've had the, the school of acting where you want to do other things while you're delivering lines because it makes it seem more natural. And a way to do that would be to eat something or drink something while you're giving the the line which is great for stage craft um but when you have to with continuity and just the pleasantness of watching someone eat certain things you have to be careful about that in film where, or TV. where it really got me was when pulaski and jordy both got up to go serve themselves a drink while talking about the fate of an entire civilization so they're <laughs> in this brunch thing in picard's quarters and pulaski says something about like how well how can we just uh, leave these people to die, and she serves herself some tea. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's no. human, Jake. <laughs> it's showing their humanity. But their mm -hmm. humanity is to be empathetic, right? Is to show that they care for these people, so they wouldn't just be casually uh, feeding themselves from the buffet and getting mimosas while they talk about this. I don't know. I you, thought, wow, I too love mimosas. So right. now I relate to Pulaski. Relatable. <laughs> so I stopped you know, this episode and gave myself a mimosa. <laughs> you know what, yeah, Jake? Yeah, I did. Did we not all? <laughs> go, go take a nap, okay? We're going to keep talking. Oh, uh, <laughs> Am I being a grouch? Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, what, that's said to oh, O'Brien. Oh, go take a nap, O'Brien. Go take a nap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'll just nod off oh, over here. I'm right over in the corner. So oh, right. Because they technically were didn't wanted breaking as orders. few people as possible involved in the breaking of the Prime Directive. And so. Data just manages to, like, break every rule every single time he's given an order. Like, don't communicate with her anymore. Communicates. Don't go down there. Goes down there. Don't bring her back. Brings her back. <laughs> uh, okay, we are we all agreed we're going to erase her memory. Don't give her anything that might help her remember. Yeah. What about this singing stone that I stole from the doctor? Yeah, that's not <laughs> even his. <laughs> this kid definitely heard death metal. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, data could be setting forward the future of spacefaring civilization for this this little girl. She could be the one to invent it. Like that's what I was wondering. Out. Of like, it's that crazy scientist who said they had a dream of meeting an alien when they were a kid and they were always yeah. going to follow it, right? Like Probe. that's who she'll grow up to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not where I was going. But technically, yes, she's in a sick bay, so I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's how it all starts. This was uh, another one assigned to Melinda Snodgrass, who was the yeah. writer of this episode. Um, during the meetings, the writers considered various characters who would interact with the child. Uh, Snodgrass was successful in convincing the other staffers that Data was the best fit for the tale. She later explained, you can picture Data becoming entranced with answering the question, is there anyone out there? First, mm -hmm. he's an android, and if you ask him a question, you're going to get an answer. But secondly, the whole thing would be so charmingly intriguing uh, to him and that he would do it. You can never picture any of the other officers doing that, but data can make that mistake. And I don't see that, say that in a pejorative sense and step out and step out with his careful Starfleet training.
training because he's really just growing up. He's more of a child than Wesley, which mm. that kind of convinced me a little bit of like, yeah, he does have more of a childlike nature than Wesley because Wesley is actually trying to be an adult so much, as we definitely right. learned in the last episode, too, is yeah. like he's always striving to become that. And we're trying well, to stray away from his childness a little bit. Yeah. Whereas Data has the opposite. is like he's trying to discover the childlike nature of humanity, and that's his curiosity. Well, isn't it curiosity that defines childhood? And when we lose it, that's when we lose our childlike nature. We should all strive to have more curiosity. Yeah, sure. What were you saying, Xander? Oh, just uh, the parallels between Wesley getting the command role and leading a team and then Data being, you know, they're both in different places of their growing up in their, like... Data having pet projects all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what else do I have to say about this? Pulaski's that great. Sargento is a weird, creepy troll, troll baby doll. <laughs> I, you know, the thing is, if you were tasked with coming up with an alien and had to put, you know, prosthetics and stuff on a kid, I, I would imagine that you would want it, A, to look as, like, human-ish as possible, but also you want to sort of, you get free reign to disguise. So I like that they use, like, glitter and, and things that might have been fun for the actor to... Her little to... finger, her long fingers were kind of cool. That was right? Thing. Yeah. Her hair is definitely trapped in 1989, but, like, whatever. What's wrong with it's that? Like not, no, not bad. It's like a lion stuffed animal with very big forehead, and right. it's like a child gave it a haircut just on sure. top. Um, yeah. It works. It does. It it's works. Also, it's also it creepy. A, it's an alien species someone had to design that we were like, we're never going to see this species again. Right. We have to make it real for this kid. Yeah. <laughs> and we never even see any other of her species either. She's right. the only one we see. We don't see her parents. They just get mentioned. Yeah. Budget. And brothers. Budget. Full mm -hmm. coverage color makeup is difficult. Right? Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure on a kid it wasn't easy. Uh, yeah. But the kid nailed it. She did a great job. Oh, yeah. She was a good actor. Yep. There's a lot Agreed. of heart. A lot yeah. of feels. And Men in Black definitely stole everything about... <laughs> Normal citizen mind erasure from this episode. I was surprised they could pull that off. Like yeah. Picard just calls down to sick bay's like, "Hey, can we rub out some of these memories? Just yeah, <laughs> smudge them, wipe them." Yeah, yeah you think about it. That's eight weeks of communication that they're gonna have to wipe too. So <laughs> that's a lot of time. Yeah, that girl's gonna have. Uh, I mean, it technically is brain damage, but I guess they like they said they just like partition it. It's gonna be stored chemically in the molecules, which is a little nonsense. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a small lobotomy. We deal with memory stuff later on, too, and I've mentioned this before, but they get more into memory and what is possible with that later on as well. Yeah, the, the magic wand starts getting woven here a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that was Pen Pals. What a uh, weird one. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I, I guess like all, like all Prime Directive-based episodes, they do a good job of, like, trying to hit on the hard philosophy of this, and they do yeah. it well here, but, like... The conclusion feels pretty obvious, which is we should do something. And there's not a lot of hesitation. We all eventually agree that, yeah, we're going to do something. We're not going to tell anybody, but we're going to do it and then just run off. Thank goodness there's no tattletales in the bridge crew. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like Wesley, like uh, his thing, like we said, just resolves. It's just like, OK, uh, we we thought we've we thought we could well, fix it and we did. Because his, he decided to take charge. He gave orders and took command and learned something. They, found, they tied it back into the A plot of, you know, because he did that seismograph or whatever it was, 
they were able to detect the patterns of the dilithium and find the frequency and and so i like that they do tie in the a plot and the b plot sometimes uh, and they they intersect especially in the conclusion that's what you want and davies gave credit to wesley that yeah. the scan that he ordered that they weren't going to do otherwise is the reason they were able to save the planet and wesley deserves this position <laughs> that scene at the end, you, you could tell that they had been working. It felt like they had been working together for a while, even though it was like uh-huh. the married couple in Wes and the one that he didn't get in Davies. You know, they had a sort of rapport. rapport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, That's at least they feel like we, we, saw, we see some good development here for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think this episode, like, kind of just plotted a little bit, but it definitely people grew, which is a nice thing to see. Um, yeah. But next episode, oh boy. We're going to get some development, all right, because... I hope it's better than this one. This was not my favorite. Tell uh, me more, Jake. Well, the next episode is Q Who. <gasps> oh, a Q episode. Well, this one's even crazier because the synopsis is Q throws the Enterprise into uncharted space where it encounters a previously unknown species, the Borg. What? Yikes. I love the Borg. Yikes. <laughs> so, yeah, so stay tuned for some assimilation. Oh my gosh, I wish I could be a Borg. (laughs) You might get that chance. No. Okay, I'll take it. In. Gage. 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 Gage.